It's what you do that defines you. I want you to remember that line because what you do, as you were about to find out this morning, really matters. So we've been talking about and what the Bible says about, in this case, how things are going to end, the end times or whatever. We want to phrase it eschatology, the theological term. Um, and we've gotten through to the point where Jesus Christ has come and he's defeated his enemies. So what happens next is what is called the judgment of the sheep and goats and, or the judgment of the nations. Um, we're going to look at that this morning, but we're going to begin by looking at Matthew 25. So get your Bibles out, turn there, and we're going to go through this pretty quickly, uh, what I call the first 13 verses. It's the doom of the unprepared. There are two parables that illustrate the same point about something, and that is readiness. You need to be ready. He is, Jesus has just laid out all the signs and all the stuff that we've been talking about, and what it'll be like when he comes again. Okay, and now we pick it up in verse 1. I call this the doom of the unprepared. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And real briefly, the five foolish virgins, they didn't do what was necessary to be prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. Jesus also said of them, he didn't know them. Consequently, they were shut out of the wedding feast. Now the five prudent virgins did what was necessary for the coming of the bridegroom. They entered the wedding feast. And the point of the parable is those who know him are prepared. Here it is. They do what is necessary. They do what is necessary. What you do, as the movie quote, the line from the movie, it does define you. Deeds matter. Now, let's continue what I call the disaster of wasted opportunities, verses 14 through 30. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, meaning the kingdom of heaven, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gave 
gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who received the two talents gained two more. But he received the one talent, went away, and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. Your faith with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. And went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's obvious everyone is held accountable for the stewardship of what they are given, the talents. Now, responsible stewards are rewarded, and they enter into the joy of their master. Irresponsible stewards, they're chastised, and they're cast into outer darkness, which is, of course, a, another way of saying hell. What's the difference? Here it is again. It's what you do with what you are given. What you do defines you. So we have two parables of readiness that center on what you do with what you're given. You with me so far? Okay. Now, let's talk about the judgment of the nations. Verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. This is referring to his second coming. He has rescued his people. Jesus has defeated his enemies. He's sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem, where he now gathers all the nations before him for judgment. Where? Remember what happened? When he stepped down on the Mount Olives, what happened? It was flattened out and it created this valley. That valley is called what? The Valley of Decision. It's not a decision to accept or receive Christ. That's, that's gone. You're out of time. He's making a decision on you. 
whether you come into the kingdom or not. It's the day of the Lord. The day of man is now over. It's now his day. Okay? And it says he separates the nations as a shepherd separates sheep and goats. And sheep, obviously are believers, are put on his right. That's the place of blessing. Goats or unbelievers are put on his left. Pretty simple, straightforward. Okay, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But there's a lot here, so we're going to break this down. I want you to know something. Having firmly established his rule, Jesus is now recognized as what? Verse 31, he's the son of man. See that? Now he's addressed as what? Verse 34, the king. He is the king. Thank you. He is the king. He speaks first to those on his right. And again, that's the place of blessing. And he says, come, you who are blessed by my father. Now, let me explain this to you because this will, will save you a lot of trouble. The original Greek literally says, my father's blessed ones. Do you know what that means? It means this. You are entering my kingdom because my father has determined to bless you. This is a declaration of God's sovereign grace in election. I chose you. You're blessed. This is why you get into the kingdom. Notice how often the word blessing or bless is used in these verses. Remember this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is what? He's blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now we know why. You're blessed because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, right? Which is what was Matthew 25, 34 says, right? That we would be holy and blameless before him. This is a clear statement of the doctrine of election. Your God chose you, and you are blessed because of that. You're chosen by grace. God sovereignly elected or chose you by his grace. You didn't deserve it, but he chose you. And that is who he's speaking to on his right, the sheep. Only the ones who have been blessed, again, chosen by the Father, enter the kingdom. But there's more. You have an inheritance that awaits you. Inheritance are reserved for who? Family members, right? Children, yeah. And the implication is you belong to the family of God. Because it goes on to say in Ephesians, I won't, won't quote it, but that God, the Father personally himself, predestined you to adoption. Okay? You're part of his family. Now, how did I become a part of the family of God? Is it anything you did? It's by faith, right? So we are elected by God's sovereign grace, chosen to be blessed by the Father, and receive an inheritance because we belong to God's family by faith. Now, what is the inheritance? It's a kingdom, and look who it's prepared for. What does verse 34 say? Who is it prepared for? Us, it's prepared for you, individually for you, for us as an entire family, okay? At when? It says, from the foundation of the world. What's that refer to? 
at creation. That's when the foundations of the world were established. That's when this was decided. This is what I jokingly call planned giving. It was planned in eternity past. This kingdom prepared for you, it's part of your inheritance that awaits you, okay? In fact, Peter said it this way. Yeah. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, blessing again, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain what? An inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. So the kingdom is what? Imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away. It's reserved for who? For us. Now, in college, um, I learned to share my faith using the four spiritual laws. But we always asked this question uh, before we started sharing the gospel. And it was, if you were to die tonight and appear before God, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? And nine times out of ten, the reply would be, I've lived a pretty good life, take my good deeds and my bad deeds, put them on a scale, and my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. But we know the answer to that question is not look at my life, but I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ in his death on the cross by faith to pay the penalty for my sins and the promise of eternal life. I'm saved by faith, as we would say. I'm justified by God by faith, not by works. Now, why am I emphasizing this point? Because the good deeds Jesus is about to mention, once you catch this, they are not the primary focus. The good deeds in verses 35 and 36, we're going to read in a moment here, I want you to understand something. They are the result of the redemption that is implied in verse 34. So let's look at the, those good deeds, verses 35 and 36. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So Jesus mentions six things, six deeds. Thirst, hunger, thirst, estrangement. It's not nakedness, by the way. It, it, the Greek literally means inadequate clothing. Uh, sickness and imprisonment. And after reading this list, it would be easy for one to infer that if they simply did those things, they've earned their way into the kingdom. But we know that that is not possible. It isn't the deeds alone that qualify them for the kingdom. Jesus is judging them according to their works, but only insofar as their works are a manifestation or a demonstration of the redeeming act of God which is foreordained in their behalf before the foundation of the world. Those deeds are only the result of the work of God in your life, Him saving you, energizing you to do these good deeds, to do these works that prove your salvation. Okay? And again, I want to quote Peter. He says right here, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing or election for you. For as long as you practice these things, 
you will never stumble. In other words, you've been saved. Prove it by how you live your life. Prove it by what you do. What you do defines you, as the line from the movie. You're going to be judged by what you do, but for the believer, it's what you do as a result of the work of God in you. Okay? It says, For this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Which is why we say you can't simply agree to a certain set of beliefs or doctrine and say, and I, I believe those things, and there's absolutely very little of any life change. That's not a believer. There's no evidence. There must be evidence. And Peter says, prove your salvation, your calling and your election by living a righteous life. This is exactly what Jesus is saying in verses 35 and 36. So we find, in a sense, redemption in verse 34 and the proof of redemption in verses 35 and 36 in Matthew 25. But I want you to also see this. Jesus says, I know you belong in my kingdom because of what you did or you do. You met all those needs, and in meeting those needs, you ministered to, he's going to show you, to me. So we learn something about the kingdom here, that the kingdom is for people who minister to Christ in meeting the needs of others. This is just a normal reaction of a citizen of God's kingdom. It is so normal that apparently these people don't realize what they're doing. Look at their reaction, verse 37 and 38. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger, invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And notice who answers Jesus. It's not the philanthropists. It's not the social activists. It's not the legalistic rule followers. It is who? The righteous. Then the righteous will answer. See that? And we are only made righteous by what? Faith in Christ. I think Jesus is really driving home the point that it is the righteous, the blessed of the Father, the inheritors of the kingdom, the foreordained who demonstrate their righteousness in good deeds. And our Lord's response is very revealing. Look at verse 40. The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And here the king qualifies those whose needs are met. Brothers and sisters in Christ. So whatever you do to meet the need of a fellow Christian, you do to me, Jesus says. Jesus is so intimately identified with his brothers and sisters that whatever we do to them, we do to him. Now I want to take you to another passage in Matthew that deals with the day of judgment. I'm going to put it up here for you. And you may find it confusing, so I want to address it here. Matthew 7. Speaking of this very event, this judgment, it says, Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's going to be people that are going to come to him during this time, and they're going to say what to him? Lord, Lord. 
but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Well, what's the will of the Father? It's going to be doing those things, amongst other things, that we just mentioned. 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Again, the same language, I don't know you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, you're doing things, you're just doing lawless things, you're practicing lawlessness. So there are going to be some folks gathered at this final judgment who are going to say these things. And they're going to point to what? The miraculous deeds that they have done. Now Jesus has warned us of false Christs and false prophets that will rise up during the Great Tribulation. You remember that? It says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That's Matthew 24, 24. The problem for these people who stand before Jesus awaiting his judgment is that apart from being tragically deceived, their criteria for entrance into his kingdom is not the criteria that they just mentioned. See, it is a meeting the needs of the hungry, the thirsty, the estranged, etc., etc., etc. It is not the miraculous successes that demonstrate the proof of true salvation. And here's the key to understanding this, I believe. It's the day-to-day routine grace and kindness and goodness demonstrated toward believers in need that proves the case. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus meant when he summed it up in John 13, 35. Love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my Disciples, you see, the proof is demonstrated love in the routine things of life, in the caring for those who have need. And this is how you examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Therefore, Paul makes the same point here in Romans two five and seven. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He's speaking to unbelievers about this very judgment. Look at verse 6. Who will render to each person according to his deed. It's what you do. To those, watch this, who by perseverance in doing good. You persevere in doing what? Good. If it's persevering, what does that mean? You're going to do it. You're going to keep doing it. Okay, it's not going to be, be you know, glamorous. It's not going to necessarily be easy. At times it will be, but you're going to have to persevere in doing good. And now we know what those good things are, generally speaking. Because you're seeking glory. What's that mean? A glorified body. You're seeking honor. Jesus said, if you honor me in this earth, in this time, I will honor you. In immortality, eternal life. So it's not the largest church, it's not the number of online followers of your ministry, but your perseverance in doing good in the faithful discharge of humble duty in the day-to-day of life that demonstrates salvation. The daily grind of doing good. 
Before we look at the last verses, it just became apparent to me as I was preparing a sermon that what Jesus is saying to the sheep at the final judgment, and this may be hard to hear, but I need to say it anyways, but it's this. Your faith, it should be evident. People should know. If there's persecution coming, okay, I know this guy here, he's a Christian, arrest him. There should be no doubt in the minds of the people that you interact with, you're a follower of Jesus Christ by what you do. And more importantly, this verse, these verses also tell us that God is watching. He sees. Because what's he point to? I see what you did. I see what you did. And it should be so evident to him as well. So when was the last time you met the needs of a brother or sister in Christ? If they are sick, have you visited them in the hospital? If they're financially struggling, have you given them, and not lended them, but just given them money? If the pastor likes cinnamon rolls, why aren't you making it for him? <laughs> Nancy, I'm looking at you. No, I say that last part obviously in jest, but the next part I do say in all seriousness, and I'm as guilty more than anybody here, that we lose touch with the fact that we ought to be giving ourselves away. We ought to be giving ourselves away. Service rendered to another Christian is a mark of a Christian. Now, if I'm right, and I'm not saying I am, but this judgment is taking place right after his second coming. Then that means believers all over the world have been enduring unrivaled persecution. It's right after what we call the Great Tribulation, right? There will be many needs among their brethren during that time. They're going to be hungry, thirsty people, be homeless people, people that have shattered and devastated families, imprisoned people. There'll be deathly sick people. On and on it could go of how it'll be during that great tribulation, the things that are happening to the family of God. And when that happens to the family of God, it will be believers that come to their rescue. See, they don't care whether they're identified with the family of God and the consequences that they might face. They'll pay the price because that's what believers do. And it is appropriate that we ask ourselves this question. If you were brought before the Lord Jesus, will he look at you and say, yes, you're blessed to my Father. Yes, come into my kingdom in your glorified form. Yes, you belong there among those who have chosen before the foundation of the world because I see in your life the love of the Lord. Yes, I see you reaching out to other people. Yes, I see you sharing and meeting needs. Now finally this morning, Jesus addresses the goats on his left. Verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil 
and his angels. Now, I have read this passage many times over the years, as I'm sure some of you have, if not all of you have before, but it wasn't until I prepared this sermon that I noticed this. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels who fell because there was obviously, God had no plan to redeem them. But men in their rebellion have chosen to identify with the devil, and they go to hell by choice. They choose, here it is, to go to a place that was never intended for them. Who was it intended for? Devil and his angels. Because what was intended for you and for me, for everybody, God created man for fellowship with himself in his kingdom not to suffer in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And since it is evident to Jesus by what his sheep do, that they bring, belong to him and his kingdom, it's also evident to Jesus by what the goats do not do. See the difference here? That they do not belong to him or in his kingdom. And it's exactly what he says next. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. They're condemned by what they didn't do. They never demonstrated the love of God, which is the mark of a believer. Look at verse 44 and 45. Then they answered, then they themselves also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. I mean, do you see how they ask the same question as the righteous but from a completely different mindset. They are completely oblivious to the fact that this is what they should be doing, supplying the basic necessities of the needy. Now, you may have recall or remember that there was a young man who lived with us for a few years named Chase Cook. Let me tell you a bit about the story of, and he longer is with us, with our kids going off to, to college. He thought it was better if he went back to his family. This is why he's not here. But he w- lived an hour or so south of here and was driving up the discount tire in Auburn and had car trouble and got to know Mark and, and David. And they made his story from a, a bad family background and so on and a difficult you know, drive and so on uh, to Erica and I. And here's the thing. When he came over to our house one time, Erica just said, well, why don't you just stay with us? She didn't ask me. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. She didn't have to ask me. When it was brought to me, I had the exact same thought that she had. Why don't you come stay with us? Now, what we didn't know at the time was that he has two godly grandparents that have been praying for him because of such an awful family background that God provided a place for him to stay in a, a Christian family. And we were the answer to that. Now, the reason why I share isn't to exalt Eric and I or anything, but it's the fact that when the neighbors uh, 
saw the extra car that was there, and you know, I could talk with the neighbors and so on, and I told them what we were doing with this boy. They thought that was great, but I got a look from some of them. They were just like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Well, the only reason why we would do that is because we're blessed. And what does it mean to be blessed? Not financially like that. We're blessed because we were chosen. And God was at work within us. And this is what you do if you are a believer. Okay? So I can point to God, and Eric can point to God, we did this. And what I, I realized again this week was that I didn't do it to him. She didn't do it to him. Who did we do it to? Jesus. I forget that. I forget that. I can tell you this. When I started seeing the grocery bill go up, I was like, okay. But then I, had to, I was reminded of this very quickly. I don't own any of this stuff. It's the Lord's. Yeah, I've been giving it for a while, and I'll give an account for how I use it, but this was obvious, and we used it to help them. You're going to be blessed because this car broke down, and I went to some people in the church, in the church, and we raised up enough money to buy him a car. He had a reliable vehicle now to get to work. Back and forth. And that's you. Your giving made that possible for him. So what we did to him, we just did to Jesus. You can thank me later for the rewards you're going to get in heaven. I take cinnamon rolls, Nancy Salt. Okay. Now, do you remember the five foolish virgins? Jesus didn't say they were shut out of the kingdom for being vile or immoral or evil, whether it was what they didn't do that excluded them from entering the kingdom. They were negligent. Do you remember the servant with one talent? Jesus didn't say he was shut out of the kingdom for being vile or immoral or evil. It was what he didn't do that excluded him from entering the kingdom. And by his negligence, by the way, Jesus saw a wicked, lazy servant. And what did they fail to do? Well, they didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all. And because they didn't believe in him, there was an absence of righteousness and without the life of God energizing them to action, there was no manifested love, no demonstrated righteousness in the form of meeting the needs of others. And this is what awaits them, verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It is everlasting punishment where the Bible says the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched, where the smoke of their torment goes up forever. And this is an irreversible judgment. But for the righteous, there's eternal life. And the contrast is clear. For the goats, they are, they are the accursed ones. There's separation from God, isolation from family. There's intense loneliness, affliction for suffering, everlasting punishment. But for the sheep, the blessed ones, there's a, a unification with Christ. There's connection with the family of God. There's consolation from suffering. There's eternal life and joy. 
And so our Lord brings his sermon to an end with a warning. That's the end of the Olivet Discourse, his sermon. And the question is, well, which side will you be on? Is there evidence by what you do that you are indeed a child of God? You're amongst the sheep. And so I think it's only appropriate that it's time. Every once in a while you need to do this. Examine yourself. Are you in the faith of what you do? And I wouldn't be upset if there was a bunch of cinnamon rolls on my front porch tomorrow morning. <laughs> my wife is embarrassed. So I did my job. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. It's a hard word, but it's a good word nonetheless. I thank you that, that what we do, it is a reflection of what is in our heart. But if we are you, of you, if you've saved us, if you've changed us, you've transformed us, your heart will be lived through us and be evident by what we do. So we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday. God bless you.